One, two, three. That sounded good to me. Okay, let's just go with that. <laughs> let's go with that. So, hang on, you played the tubular bells? I played a lot of things as the percussionist. If there was a part I had this in real this school, urge this week, real urge to play tubular bells. I haven't listened to tubular bells since 1973. What were you doing in 19? You were listening to this is an urge you had in 1973 as well. Well, how old would I be in 1973? I would be eight. So I imagine that one of my parents probably played it incessantly as they did. Oh, I see. Everybody, everybody played tubular bells all the time in, in the 1970s. I wasn't around, Andy. I don't, I don't know anything about that. No, I, I, I played them. I was very good. I was terrible. I was terrible. You had to play everything and that meant you were, you were just awful at everything. Glockenspiel. The bigger one. That was in tubular bells. The wooden one. I get the same urge, but for, for steel pans or steel drums or whatever that, you know, the, the under the sea sound. What, like the Caribbean? Exactly. Exactly. Most weeks there'll come a point at which I need to, I need to hear some. It's just such an interesting sound. <laughs> hmm. And they're my, I guess they're my tubular bells. Would you like to join me in a rendition of Purple Rain? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what, what sort I'll of ping you the lyrics? Okay, okay. I'll send you the lyrics. Well, actually, you just go do a search. It, what, do a search. Are we gonna, Purple Rain lyrics. We're going we're gonna to sing. I can get my guitar. Are we going to sing this? No, no, no. We're just a cappella it is what we do. You don't, you don't need to bother looking up the, the lyrics. It's just Purple Rain. That's all it is. Purple Rain, Purple Rain. I remember. Purple oh, Rain, Purple Rain. That one. Well, that was perfect. Only well, can't we want to see you bathing in the Purple Rain. Purple rain, purple. That's the purple one. I know rain. it. Yeah, that'd be that'd be. Well, we're gonna wait. Was that it? We were doing it then. What? Well, well, oh, I really, do we need to do it anymore? Just like in the orchestra. I think we. I think we. we I think we nailed do it too it. much. Studio quality. We shouldn't there. do it too much. Because we'll get into trouble. The one, I I had it confused with November rain. I don't think I've heard that one. Is it November rain? Maybe we'd be safer with November rain because. We're yeah, not Guns safe and Roses. with Purple Rain. No. Oh, no, I don't listen to Guns N' Roses. Did you, you haven't heard my big news this week, have you? It's I get a disaster. To hear it. I get to hear it right now. Tell me the story. Well, back in about, I think it was 2009 on my first trip to Japan, and me and my friend John Alsop and Nicole Sullivan, CSS goddess, mm -hmm. and a few other visiting Westerners, we did what people go to Tokyo to do, which is... We went to karaoke. <laughs> and I, you went to karaoke in Japan? No. <laughs> it's funny because whenever I've done karaoke, it's always been in a bar. You know, you've got a beer and everybody stood around and you heckle and, you know, you, you, in America anyway, you bribe the DJ, karaoke J, whatever he is, to play your track and, you know, call you up. Yep. Not like that in Japan. Oh, Not like it at all. Were you in a, were you in a booth? It was a room, like a little <laughs> room with like, there was eight of us or something. And you just sit around with like, they bring you beer and um, you sit around and you just sing to each other, which is the strangest thing. It's really odd. I've done that and in America. 
But Ooh, no. I've only ever done it in a bar. What was it like Some in Japan? Some people are really into it, aren't they? I remember, I think Gina Bolton, she only ever sings White Wedding. That's all she ever does. She can't, she can't sing anything else, just White Wedding. Really? That's her, that's her repertoire is that one song. Jeremy Keith always sings Lion Man for the County. <laughs> and, and yours is Purple Rain. No, mine's not Purple Rain. Mine is usually Coat of Many Colours, Dolly Parton. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's a classic. But, it is a classic. And a Jolene, if they don't have Coat of Many Colours, oh. which not every karaoke, I don't know, karaoke collection has, they always have Coat of Many Colours, but mostly they've got Jolene or Ring of Fire. You know, they're kind of interchangeable. Sure. Anyway, so we're in Japan in this little room and we're singing Purple Rain. Drunker skunks. Yep. And I had a little flip video camera with me. Do you remember yeah, before mobile oh, phones had yes. video things in them? Still got it knocking about somewhere. And I took a little video, you know, a minute or two of Uh us drunken Westerners singing Purple Rain. And I stuck it up on Vimeo. And this was 2009. (laughs) And I don't put many videos up on Vimeo. I'm not kind of like, you know, Mr. Video. But I put it up there and I forgot all about it until this week when I got a email from Vimeo saying that they'd received a DCMA uh, cease and desist from Prince, and they'd had to delete my Purple Rain video for <laughs> copyright reasons. Oh, that sucks. It's lost to the world now. It's lost to me as well, because I can't find my offline copy anywhere. Oh, no. See, I haven't seen it. And now I feel like I need to see it for the story to make sense. Someone out there will have a copy. Hey, wait. The Internet Archive. Don't they archive everything. They'll have it. I don't know. I haven't looked. <laughs> I haven't looked. One of but our listeners. Task a task for the listener. Maybe it's No, because if it. you say that, then they'll go out and they'll find videos of me doing karaoke that are s- still out there. Extra and credit. Some of those are, I'd rather forget. <laughs> 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 oh. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Karaoke. Oh, okay, I'm okay so talking sorry, about music though. So you, you got a D- DMCA, you got one from Prince himself. No, this was from, just from Vimeo. Oh, they got one from Prince. They got one from Prince demanding, as apparently he's, he's known for, uh, sending takedown notices to people that put, you know, pictures and recordings and stuff up of concerts up on YouTube and Vimeo and Instagram or whatever. He's he's well known for it. You need to ask for a copy of the the DMCA notice. Print it out. Put it on your wall. We did that I with our cease and desist. Just be, just but what from Prince? No, we had one from Justin Bieber. Oh, that's right. You told me last time. <laughs> what is it with celebrities? It's like coin ye. Have you seen all the <laughs> no <laughs> coin ye? Well. <laughs> I don't know who these people are, but you know these kind of whatever they call cryptocurrencies, things like Bitcoin. Oh yeah. Well, um, anyway, bunch of people with a bedroom and no social life set up another one. Uh, they, it was uh, Coinye, and it was based on Kanye West. It's a Kanye West currency, and it's a Kanye West currency, and it had like you know very strong likeness of Kanye in the sunglasses on these little coins, oh. and 
Anyway, his lawyers have just, you know, pounded them to a pulp. But their their defense was so spectacularly funny because they actually rejigged all of the uh, the artwork and made him into a half Kanye, half fish. <laughs> Basically saying, you know, so then when this isn't Kanye anymore, it's a fish. You're not saying you're a fish, are you, Kanye? <laughs> anyway, I think that lasted for like a day or two. And uh, anyway, now they're screwed and the whole thing's gone. But I think if I were a celebrity... I would I would jump right on the cryptocurrency bandwagon and have my own currency. You are a celebrity, Elliot Kemba. I have a word. I'm a celebrity. That's awful. It's bad, isn't it? That's trademark. Just so you know. We are okay talking about music. I think nobody's complained because I've had repl- I've had complaints of people that think that we talk about films and apes too much, but nobody's complained about us talking about music. So I think we're on safe ground. Good. You should you should you should test this. You should talk about a different thing each week and see what people complain about the most. Not that my singing "Purple Rain" pisses so far in Tokyo was could be classed as music. <laughs> You're going to get you know. another notice for this podcast. <laughs> no, don't you see? <laughs> see maybe maybe Prince. we can just push a lot. Maybe I don't know what fair use is. I mean, you know, two old duffers. Singing the chorus of Purple Rain. I mean, is that acceptable? Did is you call me, want to take that down? Did you call me an old duffer? Of course I did. Oh, I don't know who I was referring to. That's going to be my new Twitter, Twitter bio. I was once called an old duffer by Andy Clark. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I suppose the real, the real big hot topic news this week, though, was not my takedown notice by Prince. Oh, you're talking well, about the been. news that people are talking about and interested in. Actual news. Mm. Yeah, actual news. Because, you know, this is a topical news show. Did you not know that? We can take a break from our, um, you know, musical studies to talk about things that are happening in the world. There is a world outside of music. Mm. Well, what's, and what's, what's the tune that everybody's whistling this week? Or the, in the, the hip parade. The news, the news tune. I don't know. What are we talking By about? By some popular beat camp combo. No, I mean, what are we, what are we, what are we talking about this week? Well, I suppose the big hot topic news has got to be Google acquiring Nest Labs, which they spent three billion dollars on a company that makes thermostats and smoke alarms. That's three thousand million dollars, isn't it? Mm. And nobody told them, but you can get them for like a hundred quid in B and Q. The Nest. <laughs> I am an old duffer. That took a second. Boy. Have you got one? Do you Bye. have one? Keep up, mate. Can no, you get I don't, actually. We were, we were just about to buy one. And as what we'll talk about later on, um, now I'm, now I'm not so keen. Oh. On giving them my money. So a little bit of controversy. I think we'll, we'll have a chat about that later. And I thought, I thought we'd just talk about acquisitions in general. You know, everybody's bloody well getting acquired. It's like, I'm sick of it. Why? So, okay. We'll talk, we'll you know, talk about it. I was, about we to, I was about to start, but there's a structure to this thing. It's called a podcast for a reason, you know. This can be the intro. So we'll talk about that in a bit. And, you know, maybe talk about why I and other people reacted quite so negatively to uh, to this whole Google acquiring next thing. Thought that'd be a, be a plan for the day. It's certainly topical. I think it's a good one. And possibly because I, you know... I I have an opinion on that that I I don't think everybody else seems to have, which is uh, somehow I thought you'd have an opinion. 
I always have an opinion on things, don't I? It's a disease. I have opinionitis. Before we do that, though, let's do a sponsor. Let's get the first sponsor out of the way. Do it. Okay. So, here we go. You know, I think people would notice if I started talking about a product that I didn't use myself Mm. um, or that I didn't think was a good fit for the audience. So, that's why I've had a bit of a strict policy, really. I only want to talk about products that I really like. And I'm really pleased that this week we've got a new sponsor, um, which is a product that I use all the time, and that's Mac Rabbit's Espresso. Really glad they're sponsoring the show. Oh, awesome. Hey, that's fantastic. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Espresso's the editor that I've used to write code every day for oh, no, about as long as I can remember. And I've used it so much so often that, I don't know about you, but I just can't imagine using anything else now to write my HTML and CSS. Espresso's got all the tools that I need to write code and edit it, and it makes it really simple and efficient. And, you know, I bet you can imagine I write a lot of CSS. And Espresso's got MacRabbit's award-winning CSS edit tools built right in. It's got CodeSense, code folding, smart snippets, and drag and drop, and Navigator. It's all going to help you write better code in much less time. And... I find myself using Espresso's project-wide find and replace quite a lot. I was mm. using that today when I was just replacing some uh, some blocks of content. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when I'm moving from design to production code as well, I use that all the time. Quick filtering, color highlighting, it just makes searching the contents of all the files really quick and easy too. Now, I know everybody's workflow is slightly different, and Espresso includes a flexible workspace that fits into yours. So when you're ready to see how your work's going to look in a browser, Espresso's got a fantastic web preview, and it's got X-Ray, so you can see how the HTML and the CSS that you're writing affects parts of the pages that you're building. And it also visualizes margin and padding and, you know, helps you quickly find and edit the relevant style for any element. And then when you're finished, when you're ready, you can just sync and publish your work to a web server with Espresso's built-in tools. So I've tried other editors, but, you know, I always find myself coming back to Espresso. And I really can't imagine using anything else. Espresso is available from unfinished.bz slash Espresso. And it's only 75 of your US dollars. But listeners of the show, they can get a fantastic 10% discount by using the coupon code unfinished at the checkout. And that's Espresso. Yeah, man, Espresso is a fantastic app. You know, I don't actually personally use it because I don't actually write a lot of HTML, CSS from day to day, but our designer Hector uses it just nonstop. It's his thing. He loves it. It's a really good app. If you're listening and you should be listening, then you should buy it. Should we do another course of Purple Rain? Do we want to subject all of our, both of our listeners to that? I think we should. I never meant to cause you any sorrow. I've, I closed the room. I don't never want to cause you any pain. I only want to see you laughing in the, the purple, purple rain. rain. Purple rain. Purple rain. Purple rain. Oh, we've got a delay. Skype. Oh, There's a Skype. Say, we can't sing. Oh, purple rain. Purple rain. Almost there. Purple rain. Purple rain. I only want to see you bathing in the purple rain. Oh, it's a classic. No wonder he wants to protect that gem. 
gem. You can't let it, that go into the public domain because they'll, you know, they'll ruin it. They'll sing it as karaoke. And there are some songs that just transcend time and, and space, probably. Purple Rain's one. Gotta be. This Old House by Shaking Stevens. Mm-hmm. Always a favorite. See, I was, I'm still, I'm still stuck on November Rain. I, I just want to, I want to do the solo. I want to, you know, just wail on, on a guitar on, on a podcast. But, uh. Are you singing, are you saying that my singing's wailing? No, I, on a guitar. You, one wails on a guitar. I, I believe. I'm singing sober. It doesn't happen very often. <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of podcast, really. So let's talk about acquisitions because let's just leave the Google, um, nest thing aside for a minute. But. Okay. I don't know. It just seems to have happened quite a lot over the last few years you know we we start to get to use and love a, a product mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there's one of these dreadful um, announcements that we should all fear where somebody's really excited usually you know we're really excited to announce that you know facebook's acquiring our company or i've got one here um we're really excited to announce that the bump team will be joining google or the pitch team will be joining yahoo and it's, it's not like it makes it sound as if like the product's been bought but mm. you know do you know what next thing you know the product's gone and you know all your data's probably gone with it go i'm thinking about goala you know facebook right. bought goala yeah and you know it just it just seems like such complete <laughs> really because <laughs> it's not like it's not like they've taken over the product. It's not like, you know, they've taken over the product and now they're improving it or, you know, something's going to happen. It's going to carry on. Most of the time it just gets closed. And do you know what? They're not being acquired. They're just getting a job. It's like the team at Gowala. You know, they, Facebook didn't acquire Gowala. They just got jobs at Facebook. The word for this, Andy, I think the people are using is an aqua-hire. Aqua-hire. Yeah, I've seen that. And Facebook bought Sofa as mm-hmm. well, the design company. I mean, I can just imagine that, you know, they need design talent as everybody else does. And I think everybody from Sofa left Facebook, but don't, don't quote me. Don't record don't me on that one. <laughs> it was back in 2011 anyway, but you know, Jesus, they just got jobs. It's like we got expensively paid jobs at Facebook or, well, I suppose the same thing with Instagram as well. Instagram hasn't quite gone away yet. I, I, I don't, it's not that. I don't want people to be happy and I don't want them to, you know, sell successful businesses and make a lot of money because that's okay. That's, that's, you know, what we're here for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't have your best loved product carry on forever. You know, at some point the dog's going to die, mm-hmm. but don't dress it up to mean anything other than it is, you know, Jesus, if you're going to want to go and get jobs at Facebook, go get jobs at Facebook. Don't make it out to be really excited that somebody's acquiring your company. Or am I just being an old fashioned curmudgeon or what? I don't know. That's, it's interesting that you put it that way because, um, my, my, my sort of opinion on this has always, has always been rather unpopular, I guess. People love these, these applications that they use and they're generally free. And, you know, you use these things for free. John Gruber had a very good point in this where it was, um, it was the other day. I think he was, he was announcing a new product and he was saying that if a product comes out and it's free, I think it was John Gruber, you sort of have a suspicion of like, what, what's the end goal for what they're doing here? You know, what, what is, what's, what's the, what are they working towards? You know, where's this product going? And when it's free, there's sort of an assumption that at some point, you know, maybe this product will become very valuable and then they'll, they'll sell it. You know, the whole time they've been paying for servers and staff and coffee and all these things with, with other people's cash. 
And so when it comes down to it, those people are going to want their, their money back. And that's, that's, that's pretty much the only way for it to be, you know, for it to be done is if an incredibly talented team gets acquired by another incredibly talented team to build, to build products in another place. And for me, it's like these products aren't just sort of, you know, given to you. They're not manna from heaven. You know, someone had to sit down and make these and someone had to sit down and like work really hard on them and do them and not do anything else. And, and for a long time. And, you know, you get, I think you get bored of that. I think it, it, it comes a time where you say, look, I've been running this, this company or this project or built this product for three years, four years, five years, God knows. And you just think, look, you know, I need to go and do something else. And at that stage, I, I mean, you're in there with someone else's money. You're running a company that costs a lot every day. And I think if you, if you were in the same position, if you looked at your options, you know, it, it's, it seems like a, that's what these guys do. And it's great. You know, you get a new team and everybody's excited about it and it's a change, which is, which is, you know, delightful. And you've suddenly got money and resources and everything is different, you know, from this life where you've sort of pushed at this product and struggled and pitched and, and everything. It's, it's like, uh, it's like signing off a project or it's like finishing something in a way. Um, and it does. It sucks for the people that use the product. I, I use Sparrow. I still, I'm using Sparrow right now. The Sparrow is a, a mail app for. Oh, they got bought by team. Google, didn't they? Well, they went, no, they, they got jobs at Google. That was right. Well, they, they were, I think they were, I don't know what happened. They got Aqua hired maybe, but Sparrow's, Sparrow is still a good app. And, uh, Google haven't really done anything with it that I've seen. I don't have any problems with the app Sparrow, but it was, it, you know, it's, it's, it's an application. It's going to come and go. It's a temporal thing. It's the product of someone's concentration and time and effort. And I appreciate that, you know, but I, I can't, I can't expect them to work, on, <laughs> to work on it, to keep working on it forever. Well, no, I mean, it's got to be realistic, but I mean, taking Sparrow as an example, I was quite late to using that. I mean, you know, I'm quite happy normally with the mail app on the phone. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, I'm using Sparrow on the Mac, I should say. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I bought it one day. I bought it for iOS and for the Mac. Mm-hmm. And literally, I think it was just the day before. Um, it might even been the same day that the Facebook acquisition in inverted commas was announced. And I was a bit grumpy about that because. Wait, the Facebook acquisition? Yeah. Well, they, they went to, uh, the, they went to, um, did they, was it Facebook or Google? Oh, Sparrow. It was, oh, it was Google. I think it was Google. Sparrow went to Google, yeah. Mm. So I wasn't particularly um, data paranoid about Google. I just thought, well, hang on a minute. You know, this thing's not going to get maintained anymore. In fact, they probably said in the in the announcement that you know, they weren't going to do much more development on it. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, that's not why I spent a few quid. I mean, even though it was, it was, a, it was only a few quid. And I, I thought, oh, bugger that. So I just chanced my arm. And I, you know, when you get the purchase receipt through from apple when you buy an app Uh and it has a report a problem link at the bottom (laughs) i reported a problem and i just (laughs) and i said and i can almost remember word for word what i said it was something like if i'd have known that this was going to get bought by google then i wouldn't have purchased the app and i got a reply back literally within about three hours from apple saying we're really sorry we've refunded your account which was i was staggered by that now from memory I think, and I run an app on the Mac App Store, so I should know this, but I think refunds actually refund the whole price, including Apple's cut of the transaction. So you cost them money, I think, by refunding it. Don't quote me. Well, you know, 
Google money. Disappointed, you know. And you know, we've all used apps that you know, Flickr or whatever, that get bought and kind of languish. And you know, I don't necessarily mind that so much. I'm realistic that everything is not going to last forever. Mm. But it just irks me that things are, you know, dressed up and say, if you want to go off and have a fabulous new opportunity with a big company, then, then fine. But, you know, don't make it sound as if it's, uh, you know, you're doing the world a favor. I'd love to hear what you expect people to say though, because yeah, everybody says the, the, the they say we're excited, right? They say we're excited to announce that we're joining. So they can still be excited, right? They can still be excited, but you know, to use your example, you know, we've decided, remember, you know, my friend Brendan Dawes started a, a little product company making, it was called a popper and it mm. was a lovely, beautiful little attachment for the iPhone, like a grip. And with okay. a big red button on the top for for taking pictures. With oh, them. I remember. And, yeah, that was cool. And he made some little stands as well for phones and, and, and whatever. And, you know, I've got those knocking about somewhere. Mm-hmm. And Brendan just announced one day, listen, this business isn't going where we want it to go. It's, you know, it's not making the money that we want it to make. It's too much like hard work or something, whatever he said. So we've decided that we're going to close the company. So that's what they could say. They could say, listen, Goala could say, do you know what? <laughs> Facebook, uh, not Facebook. Foursquare won the war in check-ins, which I think mm. Josh did right a bit later on. Um, so we've decided that, you know, we're not going to put our efforts into this anymore. We've decided to go take jobs at Facebook. You know, that wouldn't that be more honest? It depends, I guess, on how much Facebook paid to to buy them. It's if, not if like they're, they're using the brand, brand, is it? It's not like, you know, they didn't buy the brand. They didn't no. buy the, the intellectual well, property. Well, probably they did buy well, the they intellectual property. They're using it. Sure they did. Well, they're, maybe they're not. They're not using it. But are the employees of a company part of part of the company and part of what's been assimilated? You know, the workflow. Well, this the, is it. The intellectual property in the process by which you make things. I don't know how it works because, you know, if I worked for you and then all of a sudden you walked into the studio one day and said, listen, guys, we've, we've been acquired by B&Q. That happened. <laughs> it wasn't B&Q, but that happened to another company. Was it Homebase? It, no, a small company here in Bath was bought by a much larger company. And yeah, the guy walked in and told all the employees, yeah, we've been bought and this is your new boss. But of course, what happens if all the employees just decide, well, hang, we don't want to work in, we don't want to work in home base. We're going to leave. What is the company left with? What have they bought? Uh, well, you, uh, you've bought a few things. I think like one thing that you can, one thing you can buy is, um, there are all sorts of things like this actually for the reasons you can buy a company. Um, I was talking to a guy the other day about a there's there's a, there's an EU research and development grant for getting a rebate on any time I think it's NIC contributions that you make while doing research and development work and it's all quite complicated um suffice to say that that if you're doing R&D work uh there are grants available for you it's the long and short of it now this 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 dude bought a company he found a company and he bought it based on what they had been making and this company had been building this piece of software and had, it hadn't worked. It didn't work. You know, they, they, for whatever reason, the VC money ran out and they, they dissolved the company and left. Um, but they didn't quite dissolve it. So this guy bought the defunct company and it had all these, you know, it had all of the accountancy for the past two years or whatever. So he found one of the developers working at that company, got him to come in and give a statement. And then he applied for this grant based on that company and their tax history. And he, he got a whole lot of money. He got a whole lot of money that that company could have applied for a grant for an R and D in the EU, and was you know that that was that was their their thing. They they could have done it. They were uh, what's the word? That grant was available for them to apply for, and they never did because they didn't know about it. So this guy bought the company 
after everybody had left, he bought the you know the the, the legal part of it, their company, made a claim yeah. based on all the money that they'd spent, with a testimony by the guy who was working there that it was research and development and it was all legit. And I think I think he got like a million pounds or something. It was nuts. What did he do with it? Did he actually put it to good use or did it go on a Ferrari? The money? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. He was an accountant. It probably went to very good use. Oh, of course. It's probably squirreled away somewhere, I, I, I imagine. But so, I mean, the, the point of the story is that you buy a company, you buy, a, you know, you buy a few things. There's, there's all sorts of, you know, accountancy history. Um, and in fact, one of the very good reasons why you do buy a company is for visa reasons. So, um, as a as a non-American, to go to the United States requires, a, as you know, to to work in the United States requires a visa, and there's several mm. different kinds of visa, ranging from your you know, um, intern visa, all oh, the way up to the internal transfer visa. That's, that's right, internal L1. company transfer. If you visa. buy a company that's not in the U.S., you can then transfer everybody from that company to the owner or parent company in the U.S. and um, it's, it works, I think, basically the same as an O-1 visa, except you just get it and you just go and you can move. You have to have worked for that company for two years, but I mean, there it is. It's, I mean, well, that's probably was useful for Sofa. Yeah. You can import all these great developers and designers. Um, and, and have a very easy way of doing it. Now it's, I mean, it's, it's complex to buy a company like that, but if they're in the market for being sold and they want to just do it. You know, you can have a zero dollar, dollar, you know, exit and just sell the company for nothing and do it for the privilege of being given a visa and, you know, being flown to the US and put up and paid a lot of money to work at Facebook, I imagine, and uh, start a new life in the tech capital of, of the world. Would you want to go to Silicon Valley? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, England is my second country already, right? So I, I come from New Zealand. As some of the listeners may, may or may not know, I come from New Zealand and I live in the UK. So for me, the UK is already foreign. So moving to the US would be living in another foreign country. But, you know, the, the, the weather is better. The tech industry is much better. The employment's, you know, kind of state of everything is, is just much, much better. There's more work. There's more jobs. There's more people. I mean, bear in mind, I live in a small town in the southwest of England. And Andy, I think you live in, in an even smaller. Yeah, don't talk to me about kind of remote locations. I saw a sheep today. It's the most company I've had in weeks. <laughs> no, I live in a little village that's got fifty houses, so it's very small. One pub that you don't go in. No shops. I think I'd have gone to, I'd have gone abroad. Certainly, I'd have maybe gone to America twenty years ago. Um, I think I'm a little bit long in the tooth. In fact. Because we, we love Australia, right? Mm. In fact, I'm really, really wishing that I was in Australia now. And the um, the plan was going to be to be in Australia, sort of, you know, just after Christmas and go spend six weeks there. But we didn't end up doing it. Now, you know, commitments got in the way. But we were looking. We saw on. Uh, have you seen Do Not Declare? No. The TV show. It's about Australian customs. It's hilarious. It's really, really funny. Oh yeah. Because they get, it monitors, it's, it's all about the, um, the, the border patrol, the immigration and customs and stuff. Mm. So you get people coming in. Obviously in Australia, they're really, really, um, 
keen on keeping any nasties out of the country. Yep. So anything which is food, you know, not allowed in, not yep. allowed in at all. Yeah. So it's great. You fill in on your landing card, you know, you fill in, do you have any food? And these people tick no. And then they get through to the, to the border and they open up their suitcases and, you know, it's just full of food. It's just amazing. It's just <laughs> so funny. And you see these people usually from, usually from the far east and the lady at the, at the border will say, do you have any food in your bag, sir? And the guy will go, no, no food, no food in bag. And the next thing is, it's like they open it up and it's like two suitcases just full of food. <laughs> the guys are standing there, no food in bag. It's really funny. Anyway, what we were going to do, we're going to get letters about my Chinese accent now. So we were watching this program and there was a guy on there that mentioned a uh, working holiday visa. Uh, to oh, yep. Australia. And I thought, uh -huh. that sounds like a great idea. So I looked up and then 10 minutes later was crushed. I was crushed. <laughs> my ego was because I realized that I was closer to the retirement visa <laughs> re requirements <laughs> than I am to a working holiday visa. You so can't do say. a working holiday visa? No, because I'm not under 25. You have to be under 25 to do a working holiday visa? Yes, you do. But I'm very close to the retirement oh. visa. <laughs> Another seven years and I shall be eligible for one of those. <laughs> oh, that sucks. And then I can go and live in Palm Central. In Australia? Mm. Because make... there's a place, I, I forget what the name of the city is now, but it's just north of Perth and it's where all the Palms go, apparently. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go with English. If I wanted to you go see... to lots of English people, I'd go to Manchester. <laughs> or Spain. Or Spain. We should do another sponsor. Yep. Our next sponsor, well, actually, you know what? Our next sponsor is actually not a product that I've used for long. In fact, it's just something that I know that I'm going to use for a long time to come because it's Shopify. Oh, Everything yeah. you need to start selling online today is their little tagline. So anyway, a little bit of history because this is, it fits in with our topic today about businesses and, mm. you know, selling them and when things go right or wrong because I don't, I don't think I've told you this, but and I haven't talked about it much in the past, but 10 years ago, it was back in about 2004, I helped to develop what was at the time the first standards-based e-commerce platform. And oh, you really? CSS for layout. Yeah, it's true. I'm not going to say the name of the, the, the product or the company because anyway, it ended up being sold and it's now owned by some very nice people. And, you know, what I've got to say about it is completely irrelevant to, you know, what they do today. But sure. anyway, this, this product that we, that we made, uh, we used it to develop the online store that I designed for Disney UK. And we did similar ones for charities like Save the Children and WWF. So it was, it was good. It was pretty ahead of its game at the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm really proud of the sites that we made, but I've got to be honest, the business, because we set up a business to, you know, around this particular product and, oh man, it was a disaster. Oh, it, it was, the worst years of my life and drove me to a nervous breakdown. And uh, when I left, I swore that I would never, ever make another e-commerce site again. Um, because you know, even with our software, setting up an online store was complicated. It yeah. took time. Um, and it was more of a technical challenge than a creative one. And, you know, that's not what I want to spend my time doing. So that's why we've turned away e-commerce projects for years and years and years until I learned about Shopify. And now I've actually become interested in doing e-commerce again because I'm really interested in user experiences and, you know, e-commerce is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm not going to reel off a whole list of Shopify features. You can, you know, you can go read those on the website. Instead, over the next few months, what I'm going to do as I get to grips with Shopify myself, I'm just going to tell you what's going on and how that's going. And one of the things that attracted me to Shopify was that, as I said to a client the other day, it takes care of the business end of developing a store and it lets Mm. me concentrate on design, which is, you know, it's what I think I do best. That and the fact that I know that there are lots of people and companies I respect, like uh, Eight Faces and A Book Apart, mm-hmm. Five Simple Steps, uh, Hardgraft. They all use Shopify. And if you look at those sites, you wouldn't ever know that they were running on the same platform. I also like the fact that Shopify is very designer-friendly. You know, It's theme-based. So I could design a theme for an individual client site, which is what I'm about to do, or I could design one and I could sell it through Shopify's theme store as well. Yeah. And it looks pretty easy to learn. You know, I've already started working through some of their learning resources. Uh, they've got documentation. They've got video tutorials. They even run free workshops. And they're available if you join their free partner program. And that's your gateway to building sites with, for clients with Shopify. So once you've joined, you can learn while making any number of fully featured and non-time-limited development stores. And they're available through your partner dashboard. Plus... Through the partner program, you earn a 20% revenue share for every store that you bring onto Shopify. So (laughs) I'm going to leave it at that this week. I'm already enjoying learning it. And I think that if my experience is anything to go by, then other people are going to enjoy it too. So you can join the free partner program like I did by going to unfinished.bz slash Shopify. And that's Shopify. Very good. You know what that calls for? You know what that calls for now, don't you? Purple rain. Oh yeah, purple rain. <laughs> purple rain, purple rain. I only wanna see you laughing in the purple rain. Oh, there are a few songs that live up to that classic. You're going to be able to cut in the original and see how close you were to the to the to the key. I'm not tempting fate. Can you imagine if <laughs> imagine if the man himself wants? I'd be very honoured, Prince, if you're oh, listening he would to, too. To listen all the way through this podcast and know what huge, (laughs) what huge fans we are of you. He's there right now. He's clicking through Shopify. He's looking at the features. (laughs) Hi, Prince. We're we're dancing on the edge is what we're doing. Dancing on the ceiling is, wait, that's not Prince. Oh, no, that wasn't dancing on the ceiling. Who the hell was that? That was um, Lionel Richie. Oh, don't get me started on Lionel Richie. He released a so-called country album. Um (laughs) In 2012, which was the low point of my year. And there were some low points. (laughs) Really, really was terrible. And it started off with Blake Shelton. And it was fairly country. Some of the early tracks were fairly country. And then by the time you get halfway through, he must just have thought, listen, screw this country thing. I'm just going to get people to sing along. It's like karaoke. Honestly, it's like Willie Nelson doing Ceylon. Or, oh, you, you just don't want to go there. Shania Twain, man, it was it was it was a country car crash, is what that, it was. Does that count as a comeback album? Is that what that is? I really don't know because that's a sort of a, a comeback album thing. It was the country equivalent of uh, the General Lee's exhaust pipe, is what it was. It was <laughs> truly terrible because it's not good Lionel Richie and it's not good country. Do you know what? I didn't really mind a bit of Lionel Richie. You know, Lionel Richie in the right place. Mm. You know, when you're in the mood, would be okay. Oh, he's great. Oh, man, I'm just looking up what else is on this album now. We have we have Dancing on the Ceiling here. What else do we have? I remember seeing the music video for that. Did you ever watch uh, Pop-Up Video? Did you have that? No, I didn't. Oh, well, if if our English listeners may not have heard of it, 
I say English, I mean British. If our British listeners haven't heard of it, it was an MTV thing where they would play a music video and they would pop up little notes about the music video as it was playing. This is back when people watched, you know, television. And they would have all sorts of trivia. And you can find, you can find these on YouTube. There's the one for, uh, uh, Never Gonna Give You Up, I think is on, is the one that I've seen on YouTube. Oh, no, that's it, a good track. It will put little notes on the video as you're watching. So one of the backup dancers in that music video doesn't know any of the moves. And, <laughs> and so the director of, of the music videos just basically tried to keep her behind Rick Astley for as much of the time that she's visible as possible. And you could see she's spinning around, hair's going in, but she's not doing the right move. The, the bartender guy turned up hammered, I think, uh, or super hungover for the, the day of filming and was sleeping in between takes. And all these notes start popping up. And I think I watched the dancing on the ceiling one because he's walking around a, a building. I think he goes and walk, literally walks on the ceiling. Stuck on you. <laughs> Got a feeling down deep in my soul ah. and it just can't lose. Guess I'm on my way. My way. Need a friend. <laughs> and the way I feel now, I guess I'll be with you till the end. Guess I'm on my way. Mighty glad you stay. Oh, you see, I'm going to want to put a bit of Lionel Richie. Yeah, I'm not the country Lionel Richie. It's like... Oh. Don't I could fall asleep like, to that, Andy. It's like Lionel Richie making a Motorhead album. It just, it's, it's not <laughs> going to work. It's not going to be the right thing. Oh, he's not on Spotify. So another piece of news, business related, because mm-hmm. we are being super topical today. Did you see the um, little bit of news that the two guys at Heffler and Frere Jones? Oh, my God. Have, uh, have had a bit of a falling out. Wow. And one's suing the other for what looks like $20 million. Oh, is, I didn't see the numbers. Is that how much it is? God. That's how much he's asking for, yeah. You should give our listeners a brief rundown of of what happened. Well, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to... Uh, in fact, there's a link here to an article on The Verge. What does, uh, yeah, what does I think the, the agreement was 50-50. Well, this is the thing, right? So it says here... He gave the other half to his wife? Yeah, the lawsuit... I'll read this from from The Verge. The lawsuit was filed by Fred Jones, who claims that Heffler essentially tricked him into believing he'd become an equal partner in H&FJ, previously known as Heffler Type Foundry. Fred Jones joined Heffler Type Foundry in 1999 and claimed that he was promised equal equity and his name above the door in exchange for transferring the rights to some of the typefaces that he designed, including Whitney, to the company. So Fred Jones basically brought, you know, a carrier bag full of his own stuff, brought it into the company on the promise that he'd become a, you know, an equal partner. Sure. At the time, Fred Jones claims their royalty value stood at three million Mm -hmm. and that he would never have transferred the rights if the agreement had not been that he would become a 50-50 partner. Um, I like this bit, actually, because obviously Fred Jones says, um, it's a, alleges Heffler scheduled um, a deal completion date of July 2013. On that date, Fred Jones said he followed up with Heffler, who allegedly responded, stop it, I'm working on it, stop harassing me. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously that didn't happen. So three months later, and it says here, Fred Jones is uh, seeking $20 million in compensation. Oh, do you think he's just trying to hurry it up? Do you think he's just trying to make it make it happen because it never happened in July? This lawsuit is a way of twisting his arm. Well, they're not friends anymore, are they? Oh no, are they not? Are they, is are you? I don't I, know. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know either of them. I've never met anyone. I'm not going to. Um, That's quite an important point in this because any I don't think, conjecture. I don't. I think everybody talking about this is engaging in exactly that, right? No, 
does anybody have the word uh, you know the word in the studio is i have no idea but i can imagine that you know even if uh, it's not gonna, it's not going to be a there's going to be a frosty silence isn't there there's going to be a frosty atmosphere happening when there's 20 million hanging in the air well, maybe, but they've been friends for so oh, nobody knows. I don't know. Anyway, it, they, well, did they have? No, a, I'm not going to engage in idle speculation. Was it I'm not going to engage in idle speculation because you know, yeah. I just don't think it's fair. Because sure, two people who we know we know that much. Yeah. All all I can remember is you know when when we were talking about this business earlier on, and we had a falling out. You know, our business partner again <laughs> weren't exactly friends by the end of it um <laughs> just how kind of uncomfortable and difficult it is i mean let's let's not remember forget that you know there are people that work at h and fj as well um and it can't be easy for them either so awkward yeah very awkward so that's in the news i'll put a link in the show notes to that and uh, and everything else we talk about get it on paper kids write it down and sign it yes absolutely Absolutely. But, you know, having said that, you know, and again, I'm not kind of idly speculating or, you know, does I want to know where you go with this. A disclaimer attached. <laughs> but, you know, I remember, um, I remember anecdotally somebody telling me, perhaps, maybe somebody that I've seen once at a bus stop. Yeah. <laughs> That's about as close to home as I'm going to get. Right. Okay. You can have all the contracts that you want. Um, you know, you can have, uh, share agreements. You can have royalty agreements. You can have dividends or profit shares or anything you like written down. Um, but if, you know, if the person decides that they're going to actually, you know, take the money out of the business so that there isn't any profit, then, you know, you get, you get a bag of pork scratchings is what you end up with. Um, so there's you always ways around these things. Can't you take them to court and have your day in court and at least have a say and say this was written down and we agreed not to do that? Well, Surely. not for the kind of money that was involved with the guy at the bus stop. No, right. <laughs> I just don't think that it was. It wasn't worth the mental energy right. um, and the and the games that people play. But I think it might be a slightly different situation if there's twenty million, 20 million involved. Dollars. You just got it, man. Yeah, doing 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 business, right? Never do business with friends and family, so they say. So this Google acquisition of Next Labs, I keep wanting to say Next. You did. You said Nick. It's Nest. So they make uh, thermostats and smoke alarms. Yeah, they make beautifully designed little bits of consumer hardware. So the Nest thermostat, which mm -hmm. is a intelligent learning thermostat that adjusts your heating for you and knows when you're in and, mm -hmm. you know, learns your patterns of behavior. Interesting thing for Google to own. Well, Tony Fadell, who... Uh, was one of the co-founders of Nest. He was basically the father of the iPod. You know, he was with Apple right, right the way from, you know, pre-iPod through iPod to I think the first generation of iPhone. Yeah. Staggeringly good design team. They make this thermostat, which was, you can buy them in the Apple store. That was the thing that really yeah. got them known. And then last year they brought out these uh, smoke and carbon monoxide sensors. And you know what a pain in the ass smoke detectors are. Oh, sure. You know, you've got to keep the batteries in them and they always go and, you know, you hit them with a broomstick and, when you know, because they go off when you're frying sausages and terrible. So they've just turned their hardware and software design talents to making these, you know, making these detectors. And, you know, they, they look... They look better than the crappy plastic things. Oh, you can it's, buy it, it's something you're going to have in your house. I saw one uh, when I was in California recently uh, on, on a wall, and I, you know, I had no idea how to interact with it, but it just looked 
It looked good. They talk to each other, so instead of getting some kind of you know beep 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 hearing in the distance, it will, the one that you've got in your bedroom will say there's smoke in the office. And ah, oh, uh, that's that's to wake you up before putting the alarm on, isn't it? So you have a, yeah. like a pre warning. So if you're cooking breakfast, you know it doesn't just start bla- start blaring like the one here does. So you know, very clever stuff and and important. Uh, you know, too, I, I can I can only imagine that where they were or will go with home automation stuff, you know, with connected devices and intelligent sensors and all this kind of stuff. You know, I can just imagine your house yeah, being very, one. very different in 10 years' time than it is today. <laughs> um, and out of the blue, really, they were, they were bought by Google for $3.2 billion. And what I hadn't realized was that they were funded by Google Ventures. Yep. So... Google Ventures had got them to where they were, and I think they were just about to uh, close another round of VC funding for, I don't know, another $150 million or something. And all of a sudden, no, boom, it's, uh, you know, been snapped up by Google, which was came out of the blue. Um, yeah. And what was interesting was not, to me anyway, it wasn't um, – the acquisition, you know, it wasn't about the acquihire or the talent or anything else. Um, and it wasn't really, it wasn't really about the business side of it at all. What interested me, and this is purely from a brand point of view, because, you know, I love brands and I like to understand why things are popular and why they're not popular. Mm-hmm. It was just the reaction, the negativity that <laughs> seemed to swamp this announcement. Mostly because um, I think because it's Google, right? Well, John Gruber said, I think Google should be concerned about the number of people who are unhappy with this acquisition. Google used to be a company that most people trusted. Mm. What I'm seeing as I read reactions to this Nest acquisition is that that's no longer true. And I'm guilty of this, Nest, Nest, because I, I did one. I did a nest with a, a Google Plus icon on it. And it just said, it just said, join Google Plus. You know how they try and get you to, to join Google Plus at every turn. I saw, I <laughs> saw a fantastic tweet. I think it's in, um, an article. Again, I'll link it, I'll link to it in the show notes from The Verge. Mm. But somebody out there in, in Twitter said, um, now they can turn up the heating to force you to, to join Google Plus. Yeah. <laughs> so they can one. keep turning up the heating to. Oh, look, if you don't like it, just don't, if you don't like Google. And, and you don't like them owning Nest, even though it's a Google Ventures product. You, you know, just don't, just don't buy a Nest. I don't see what's so incredibly, you know, why are people so angry about this? Just don't buy one. I think it's possibly the tip of the iceberg though. I think it's, I think that people are, maybe this is post Snowden. I think people are incredibly concerned in a certain respect, certain way anyway, or they're certainly more aware of privacy issues. And whether or not they, you know, they're kind of rabid anti-Googleites or whether or not they're just joking, you know, mm. it, it's, it can be the death of a brand when people start making jokes about aspects. And the fact that people are making jokes about privacy aspects with Google, you know, even regular people, you know, not, not kind of geek crowd, you know, the fact that regular people will think, will talk about these issues. It's just low-hanging fruit, really. But it's, it, there's an awareness, there's a public awareness that, and a, and a public dissatisfaction in the fact that, you know, Google are collecting all of this data, which is essentially what it comes down to. Um, 
And I'm not one of these people that, you know, is rabidly anti-Google. You know, I'll mm-hmm. try to stay logged out as much as possible. You know, if I don't need to be logged in to do a Google service, then, you know, I don't see any point in, in logging in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that if they're providing a map service for free, then, you know, they're going to be tracking where I'm looking at. Yep. Um, and, you know, if they provided uh, an email service for free, then, you know, they're probably reading my email. So, you know, I don't use Gmail. Okay. Um, not because, you know, again, I'm rabidly anti-Google. It's just that, you know, there's plenty of alternatives. So I get that. But at the same time, I'm thinking, hang on a minute, you know, do I really want to, do I really want to be giving them 250 quids worth of my money for a couple of smoke detectors now? Because in a way, and this again is what, are they not worth 250 quids? Well, probably they are. But do you know what? In the same way that I was, in the same way that I was happy to pay for Sparrow because I thought that I was, buying something from Sparrow, I was happy to be supporting Nest because I wanted to, I wanted to give them my money. I wanted to be a customer. I wanted to join in their story. I wanted just like, you know, we all used to be with Apple products. You know, you were the guy on the train that had a Mac and, you know, you're proud of that and you felt like you were supporting something. That's what I wanted. And all of a sudden it's like, no, I don't care anymore. I do not care about Nest anymore because they're not really Nest anymore. So the sixty-four thousand. I don't know what the difference is. The you know, just because they're being question, funded by one company, just because they're funded by one company, yeah, um, or group of investors rather than something else. I mean, I know, I, I know, realistically, it doesn't matter. But somehow, somehow, things have changed, and I don't quite understand what. What were you going to say? The question is. If Nest were free, how would you feel about a Nest? I would be very suspicious. <laughs> I would be very suspicious of a Nest if it was free. I I would and open to... and open if it were open for 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 whatever the hell that means these days. If if the Nest were free and open, <laughs> what does open mean? Open. Means I don't nothing. know. They say it's open, but it's not. And open is a... anyway. Anyway, if they if it were free and they said it were open, how would you feel about having a Nest thermostat regulating the temperature and saving you money in your house? And maybe they give uh, Big G some some data about how much you spend each month heating your house and how many times a day people walk around your house and they use it throughout all the nests or or whatever to you know save the planet. If it were free and Google backed it with their you know big stacks of cash that they've got, how would you feel about it? I would be very suspicious. Would you get one though? No, I wouldn't. I'd be less likely to get one if it was free than if it cost money because I wonder where the catch is. And I understand that the catch is, you know, just collecting data about me moving around the house. But I would be, no, I would be quite suspicious of that. Would you? Hardware for free is always suspicious. Software for free, apparently, is not suspicious, but hardware is suspicious. And I think that the hardware is is one of the reasons why the Nest acquisition is so interesting is because hardware is much more difficult than software. As someone who's never done a hardware startup, I suppose, I can only imagine, but I backed, uh, I backed the Pebble. I can't remember they talked about it last time. The Pebble, the smartwatch. Yeah. It's a cool little watch. Good thing, you know, first generation of its, of its sort of kind of thing. So it's a little bit limited, but it's cool. You know, it's cool. And I wanted to back it. It took nine months between paying for it and having it turn up. And then I had to pay customs on it and having it turn up, right? So it took a long time. And and all of it was because it's just this hardware that they were making. It's just so incredibly difficult. You've got to test it a bunch of times. You know, you've got to test every component. You've got to make sure that components are, are what you expect. 
because more uh, you, what what apparently happens to these these poor guys making these hardware products is your supplier in mainland China will will send you the samples and will send you the right thing and you put it all together and it works great and then you go and ramp up your order to a thousand units and not all but some I've heard of it happening some will just start slipping lower quality components into whatever it is you're making and that's bad. But it's also very dangerous. Wakemate had this problem. Wakemate uh, was a wristband that would wake you up at the right time in your REM sleep rhythm to ensure that you felt good when you woke up. It, it measured your the jawbone. The, up, the jawbone up was supposed to do the same thing. Yeah, there, there's been, there've been a few. These guys did it really early, I think, and it was a uh, they, they did it themselves. But <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. This 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 Chinese supplier, I think the story was, shipped them. Um, power adapters, you know, the wall warts that were faulty and caught on fire. So you imagine someone asleep in their house, plugged into a bracelet that's tracking their sleep patterns, which is plugged into the wall, which catches on fire. You you, you imagine, and they didn't even know that, that these units had gone out because they can't check every pallet. So I th- I just can't imagine the difficulty in doing a hardware a physical product startup. I think you know I'm not clever enough to you know fully appreciate the strategy probably behind the the Nest acquisition. But if you think about the hardware that Google has come out with so far, I mean there was mm-hmm. the the Q media server thing that uh, they unveiled a couple of years ago that actually it never made it into production um, or never got released. They've had a the Chromebook, which actually did look like a decent piece of kit, Chromebook laptop. I, I saw one in Japan and it had an amazing screen, but you know, basically it's a powered web browser. So mm. yeah, that certainly doesn't appeal to me. And everything that I have done so far has been very niche, uh, you know, Nexus phones, et cetera. Nexus tablets, I suppose might be the, the, the Nexus seven might be the, you know, the most mainstream thing. I've seen quite a lot of those, you know, people sitting with those on trains. I just played with one. But, they have to, you know, if you just think about $3.2 billion in, <laughs> in thermostats and, um, and smoke detectors, you have to sell quite a lot in B&Q, don't you, to get your money back on a deal like that. But it, I think it's an investment in a brand that is going to develop in the future. So I don't think we're going to be, I don't think we're going to see Google home automation products because Actually, there's there's a bit of a dodgy connotation there. I think Google may be acutely aware of this criticism and want Nest to be the brand that we invite into our homes. Um, I think they should have just kept funding it. Google Ventures should have put more money into it and they should have just (laughs) left it alone. I just had a whole lot of share in it kind of quietly. I, I don't know where these things are. i tell you what was interesting, actually. Marco Arment wrote uh, a little piece. Again, I'll put a link in the show notes. Mm. Um, about the Nest's privacy policy. And <laughs> his finishing par- his finishing sentence here was, Google won't break into your home, you'll invite them in, basically via Nest. And, you know, that I think is an interesting thing. You know, which, which one of these two brands would you want in your home, even if you knew that they were doing more or less the same thing? Yeah. Well, yeah, it'd be Nest, wouldn't it? Because I think probably because they're smaller. If I could have Nest in my home, the ramifications of them using my data are small. They might sell my data to someone else, but you know, Google has Google have a lot of things going on, and they're quite a big, suspicious company doing all these weird, interesting things with data capture. 
I don't know if I want someone having my email and when I'm in the house. And I don't think it's necessarily because of Google's motives. That's the other thing I think uh, I, I get wrong, wrong on this, is that I think people, I tend to assume that people think the worst of Google, that people think Google are going to put two and two together and, and uh, you know, and break into my house or whatever, or, 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 um, or use this data maliciously against me. But I think what people really object to more is is this data all existing in the same place to potentially be used by someone else. And the NSA. I think that's the issue. I think that's the issue because I was thinking about this the other day. You know, somebody made the um, somebody made a point that you know if you use Google Now on your phone, which I don't, but apparently it's very good, and Mm -hmm. it will because it knows your calendar. It will tell you that. Hang on a minute, you've got to leave now to get to that meeting because traffic is heavy on the A55 because it knows what the traffic conditions are. And, you know, that's brilliant. And it also knows your location. So when you leave the house, you know, theoretically, not only could it turn your heating down <laughs> through the nest thing, yeah. yeah, but, you know, would actually, would you like it to have started your car and defrosted and de-iced the windows in the winter five minutes before you were leaving the house? See, be convenient, wouldn't it? It would be lovely. You know, all of those things, all of those bits of information, those pieces of your life all kind of joined together. People lap that kind of convenience up. They lap, they and, lap the concept of that convenience up. And it's a big, and they lap, but they don't think about, you know, actually where is that information being stored and who else can put those two and how the hell is it going to work? You leave the put- house and it turns on your car, but you were walking to the train. It's, it's, it's just going to get it wrong and, and turn your car on. You know, that, that kind of. That kind of sort of predictive thinking works great in a straight line. Works great if you say, ah, oh, you know, I'm leaving the house and the computer knows this and it turns the car on. But all the computer really knows is that you're leaving the house, but it doesn't know what you're doing next. And because you're an unpredictable human, right? So this well, kind knows, of prediction it stuff calendar. works. It knows your calendar. It knows you have to be, you know, in Birmingham for the afternoon. So, you know. But how does it know how you're getting there? Can you trust uh... it to accurately know every time? And I think Siri well, no. is the best example of, of where this is not the way the public expects it. Siri was publicly was, was thought of as a big, as a big failure in some ways, right? There were a lot of articles saying, well, Siri doesn't do this and Siri doesn't do that because the public kind of saw Siri as what they wanted it to be, which was computer, you know, send an email to Chris saying hello or whatever. They, they saw it as the ultimate speech interface for the computer, which it very much wasn't, for the phone, I should say. Uh-uh. And it's not. It's a very simple command-based and strict argument input. And that's all it is. You can do a list of maybe nine or ten things. There's probably a hundred things you can do. But there is a set finite list of things. And that's really the only way you can really understand what a human being is saying is if you have an idea of what the possible things they could be saying could be because language is impossible to parse, right? It's a very complicated thing. I could say the same sentence to you 10 different ways. And for a computer to be able to understand all of those and figure out what I'm trying to say and do it in several languages with my non, you know, non-local accent is impossible if it's, if it's just the, the computer can do anything. But People just people expected it because they saw it in science fiction. They expected it to work for everything. Now, I think the same is true of this whole Google automation, turn my car on as I leave the door. It sounds great in theory, but I don't think anyone will ever ship it. I think it will be more the case that you have a button that can turn your car on as you're walking to it. But if I were 
if I were writing the code that says, oh, he's leaving the house, he's got to be in Birmingham, I better turn his car on, I, I, I couldn't write that line. I couldn't write a line that turns someone's car on based on date, other data that I have or an assumption. Would, I mean, would you? Would you turn someone's car on with a line of code based on some other code that was there? I'd quit. I'd say, oh, there's no way I can, I can't turn the car on. So I, I, I can't even if... do a, I can't even write code for a CSS transform today that works. So <laughs> <laughs> probably no is the answer to that. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that these things are only going to get more integrated and you know it might not be turning your car on but it's certainly going to be connecting lots and lots of other pieces of people's lives have you seen this new film the spike jones film her no i haven't seen it yet and i've read a sort of a a a rundown of it but it's i think it's the future and you have a computer that's like a little bluetooth earpiece that you talk to so there's no screen, you know, I don't think there's, there's no screens and iPhones and Google Glass and ridiculous things. There's just kind of someone you, someone you talk to. And it becomes almost a, um, a psychotherapist, I think, at times. It helps you with things. And you, and you, you speak to this, this, this robot. So rather than, you know, a, a whole host of different things that are hard to kind of integrate with each other and it's all going to be <laughs> hell to integrate, you just have this one, computer brain in your in your ear did i ever tell you about my experience with the psychotherapist i see i thought unfinished business was your this this was your psychotherapist you you would talk and and you talk to people and record it and put it on the internet we were helping you with things (laughs) laying back and you can laying back on the couch and you can talk to me the funny thing was uh yeah no i i a couple of years ago i had a very um I was at a low ebb. I'm not going to say more than that. I was at a very, very low ebb. And uh, Sue suggested, yeah, you know, maybe you should go and talk to somebody about this stuff. So we found this very, very nice lady, um, a therapist over in Cheshire. And I went to her place a couple of times. And one of the things that had basically driven me to a really low edge was a client project. Um, the people that I'd ended up working with um, through another agency were horrible people. I mean, really really horrible people it shattered my confidence completely so that didn't help so i started talking to <laughs> shirley the therapist and we we had a few sessions and things were going quite well and then she said oh next week you have to come to a different place because i'm i'm, I'm going to be in a different office so i was like yeah okay so the following week i get in the car and i drive over to uh, to wilmslow in cheshire and uh, park my car in the supermarket car park, which is where she's told me to park. And I walk along the high street and I'm getting closer and closer and closer to the, where the address is for, for Shirley's place. And <laughs> I think this is a bit familiar. I th- I'm sure I've been here before. And then as I get up to the office, I think, holy crap. And it's next door to the client no. <laughs> that drove me there. It's literally the next door building. Oh, God. <laughs> And she knew who the client you'd, you'd mentioned? You'd said who the client was? No, I don't think I'd mentioned who it was at <laughs> all. I don't think we kind of, you know, we were just kind of doing the whole kind of getting to know you thing up until that point. Um, but, yeah, that was a bit funny. So every time, every week that I went, I had to, like, walk past. And, you know, you do that thing, you're looking in the window, waving. <laughs> but oh. by the end of the therapy, I could I could walk past without wanting to throw a brick through their window, which is a major <laughs> improvement. <laughs> <laughs> That's a positive outcome. That's a result. It was a positive outcome. So, do you know what? I think we should wrap it up. Yeah, it's an hour, an hour 17. We've done well. 
We've been yeah. succinct, even with our digressions into into the field of music. As singing. So I'm hoping. Did you ever do that any we're not going to get a takedown notice? Did I do any singing? No, in fact, um, I was in the car the other day on my own, as as, as I do, singing it's along. Not and quite I just what thought, I mean. <laughs> you're not bad. You're not bad. So I came home and, and said to Sue, "Do you think I should go for singing lessons?" And she said, "Do you know what? I've been thinking about getting you bloody singing lessons for as a Christmas present for years, and didn't think you'd want to go." Yeah, do so, it. So, yeah, I know. I'd love to have some proper singing lessons because you know I can bang out a tune, but. Do you know why I, the effort. do you know why I recommend that people do it? It's not so much for the music. The music is, is, I've, I've done a lot of singing. I've sung in choirs and bands and, and all sorts of stuff. But the reason I like it when people kind of get, get singing is the, is the, is the breathing aspect of it. It's, uh, it's like a big long breathing exercise. And well, you, that's the thing I can't do. You can't I do breathing exercises. No, no, I, I can't do the breathing thing. I'm not. I, I don't sing from from down here. I sing from up here. You know. Oh, they tell you all sorts of vague things about that that you never understand. Where you're singing from? They're never quite clear on how, where, what part of your anatomy you should be singing from. But just the mere fact of doing it, apparently, when you when you now let me get this right, when you consciously change the pattern of your breathing. It has a huge effect on the, the the delta and theta rhythms in your brain. Someone's Googling this now. And it makes you feel better. It makes you feel good. Uh, and and it makes you relax. And singing is like the perfect way to do that. And now and then if you sing with a whole bunch of people, you uh you you know, you all sing together in a choir or whatever, you all have that same feeling together. And it's uh I think it's something that I think it's something that we've lost. You know, I don't go to I don't go to church every week and get my sing on or do anything like that. And I feel like it's something I've lost out of my everyday life. It's just, <laughs> except for in the shower or whatever. It's just the ability to belt out a tune once in a while. I think, having heard me sing today, our listeners are going to know exactly which part of my anatomy I sing from. <laughs> <laughs> you sing from you sing from down here. <laughs> no, I sing from the heart. That's where I sing from. Oh, I see. Oh, you went you went somewhere else with that, right? <laughs> Listen, we've got to go. Um, people can follow you, Elliot, on Twitter. You are Elliot Kemba, two L's, two T's. That's right. Or me at Malarkey. Um, you can, to ask questions or suggest topics, you can message the show on Twitter at unfinishedbz, or you can email me. He has at unfinished.bz. And thanks again to our sponsors this week. They were Espresso and Shopify. You can support mm. our show by supporting them. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much, we Andy. Just finish off. We need to finish off with just one more rendition, really, don't we? We need to go out. Let's go out with a song. Oh. Wait, let me get the lyrics. Okay. Okay. I'm good. Okay. Ready? Where, where, where are we? Do we take it from We'll just start from Purple Rain. Just start from Purple Rain. Okay. Okay. Purple, Purple rain. rain. No, Pur- I mean, there's another what, bit. No, this, is, this is rubbish. No, no, here we go. No, I never meant to cause you any sorrow. That's the bit we do. You got it? Yeah, but I don't know. I never meant to cause, goes. I never meant to cause you any sorrow. I never meant to cause you any pain. I only want to see you laughing. I don't know the tune. Only, Only wanna want see to see you laughing in, in the purple rain. Purple rain, purple rain. rain. Oh, this is gold. Purple, purple rain, 
Purple Rain. Purple Rain. You know, they don't sing like this on the freelance web. We're not oh, sick. There's latency. Purple, purple rain, rain, purple rain. rain. This That's is working so really badly because there's about four seconds. Only wanna see, see you fading in the in purple, the rain. purple <laughs> rain. See, big web show. Don't do any singing. They don't do any singing on the big web show. We're gonna take this show on the road, Andy. Yeah, I so figured out why. There's three seconds of latency between you and me. Happy Monday. Never a tune. I mean, Sarah That's can true. bang out a show tune, but she never sings on the Happy Mondays. This this could be the thing. We could be the singing, the singing podcast. I think when we cut this together, when you cut this together, because I won't do it, <laughs> you might find out exactly why people don't sing together over Skype. <laughs> because my voice, my dulcet tones are not leaving my, my mouth and, and entering your ear at the same time. This is not... <laughs> <laughs> you're a couple of seconds behind and so what happens is i i start and then and and you'll start about the same time and then you'll hear me start two seconds out and then you'll slow right down to kind of to kind of you know get in time with me and i'll hear you slowing down and what actually <laughs> what happens is you, you both end up singing it at very very slow 33 rpm <laughs> only one <laughs> Right, that's it. Let's let's kill this now. <laughs> let's stop before we do any more singing.